One of the, the worst things that can happen to you is that God has to bring you love. And for the unbeliever, this is what happened, is God will cut them down. But for those who look to God in faith and trust in Him, being brought low by God is probably one of the best things that can happen. Being on your knees and looking up to heaven is one of the greatest, sweetest things that you can find as you turn to Him and find, as you confess to Him, forgiveness. The following is from Rock of Ages Lutheran Church in Payson, Arizona, sharing rock-solid hope in Jesus our Savior. December 8th, 2019, Daniel chapter 4. Don't you sometimes get tired of those so-called apologies given by people in high-profile positions? You're expecting them to say something like, I'm sorry, I was a complete fool, please forgive me. But instead, you hear something more on the lines of, I regret that my actions were less than exemplary. Or something on the lines of, I'm sorry that you misunderstood what I meant to do or say. It's not an apology. But saying things like, I'm sorry and forgive me, those can be some of the hardest words for people to produce. Maybe even for them, it's some of the bitterest words they, they think they can speak. But what we see this morning is that those words are some of the sweetest words and most wonderful words, the words of repentance. We see that this morning as we continue our series on the stories of the promise. and We look at God's dealings with a man named Daniel and a king named Nebuchadnezzar. We turn to the word of our God that we read earlier in Matthew or Daniel chapter 4. See, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar II, came to the throne with a lot of success. He is the one that conquered, at the start of his reign, the kingdom of Egypt. And at the year 604 BC, had conquered some of his greatest opponents. And on the way back from Egypt over to Babylonia, he went through Palestine and Judea and ransacked Jerusalem and Judah. He took tens of thousands of Israelites into his land to serve him as prisoners. And when he came to his throne, he ruled for over 40 years over what was one of the mightiest kingdoms of all of the ancient world, and certainly the greatest king over the empire of Babylon. His empire stretched all the way from Egypt, through the Arabian Peninsula, all the way to the Persian Gulf. And King Nebuchadnezzar, you can imagine, was quite proud in his accomplishments. But he had more than even just military achievements. He was one who was known and renowned as a great administrator and builder. He built the city of Babylon so that the, the walls surrounding the city were of insurmountable height all the way around his great city. And can you imagine the, the aqueduct, the flowing water, and the hanging gardens of Babylon? So great that even over a hundred years later in the ancient world, described they were as the wonder of the ancient world. What was Judah? the kingdom of Israel. What was this man, Daniel, from Jerusalem that Nebuchadnezzar should even pay attention to him? But things turned as Nebuchadnezzar, we see, had a, a dream sent from the Lord. In that dream, it says that he saw a tree reaching up to the heavens and its branches extending over all the kingdoms of the world. And all the creatures and peoples of the earth came to it for food and shelter and looked up to it. 
But then it was decreed as a voice came from heaven, a messenger saying, cut down the tree and let nothing but a stump remain. And let him be drenched with the dews of heaven and let him be driven from civilization so that his mind would be like that of an animal until he acknowledges that the Most High is God. It says Nebuchadnezzar was pretty troubled by this dream. And although the meaning seems pretty clear, I'm sure that his magicians and sorcerers could have guessed the meaning well enough. Perhaps they were too afraid to mention it to the king. Daniel himself was even hesitant to make known to the king what the true meaning was. But there comes Daniel, this man who speaks by God's working in the land of Judah. And Daniel tells the king the interpretation of his dream. And he says, you, your majesty, King Nebuchadnezzar, you are that tree. And that voice that decrees that the tree will be fallen, that is you who stretch out. God has given you authority over all nations and kingdoms. He's lifted you up, but he is going to cut you down so that you will acknowledge that he is the most high God. And then we see Daniel giving the king some pretty prudent advice. He says, so be pleased, king, with this advice. Repent. Renounce your sins. Now, logically, this makes sense. That if he's terrified at this dream and he knows that Daniel speaks the truth, he would listen. And he would perhaps turn aside from his wickedness and his pride and his boastful arrogance. Daniel was much like John the Baptist who we read earlier saying, the axe is already at the root of the tree. Well, here's Daniel telling the king, the axe is at the root of your tree. Time to repent. But then what do we see? Twelve months go by. There is Nebuchadnezzar in pride. No repentance. No renouncing his ways. No turning aside from his evil. How stubborn the wicked can be and holding on to their sin. But that's also, isn't it, the, the stubbornness of our hearts by nature, that we sometimes might turn aside from repentance and refuse for a time, and begin to refuse to repent whatever sin might be taking hold of our lives. We might look at Nebuchadnezzar and see where he stood, but this is written for our learning. And this can happen to the Christian who has that old sinful heart which they struggle against. The Christian who struggles with lust and pornography tells himself, I'll, I'll just, I'll repent and I'll turn aside next time. Maybe later. Later never comes. And that sin begins to take hold of his heart. Or the, the Christian who is committing sexual immorality by cohabitating with somebody knows full well that it's wrong. And they say, you know, I'll, I'll repent in 12 days, in 12 months. Still no sign of any turning aside from that sin. Or the Christian that lost his temper, got into an argument and was wrong and offended his wife, tells himself, I don't need to say I'm sorry, not yet. He waits 12 minutes, 12 hours, 12 months, and his wife hears nothing from him. 
I'm sorry. God hears the same. What about you? What, what particular sin might begin to take hold of your heart so that you just will not turn aside from it for a time? How long can one hold on and not repent before the danger becomes real and the X is at the root of the trees? Maybe there's someone that is just waiting for, for you at a time to say, I'm sorry, I acted like a fool, I was wrong. But all they hear from you is, I regret that my actions were less than exemplary. Repentance does not always come easy. And sometimes it is put off. But should God, as he sees someone like Nebuchadnezzar, as he sees anyone putting off repentance, should he hold off? God's patient. He gave Nebuchadnezzar 12 whole months. But his patience came to an end. The voice from heaven decried him as proud and arrogant and Nebuchadnezzar was told, now the time has come and you will be driven away and you will lose everything. And just as was prophesied, the dream was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar lost his power. He even lost his mind and his sanity and his tree was cut down. But God is a God of mercy. He had told Nebuchadnezzar a stump would remain. That when he acknowledged the Most High, when he turned to him, there was restoration. And though the confession was not lasting, nonetheless Nebuchadnezzar turned to the Lord and was restored. This shows us that God is patient and God is merciful. Why is it that you and I might struggle with sometimes repenting right away? It's not simply to renounce what we've done as wrong, but to, to actually take action and to correct the wrong and turn aside from it. Repentance means hating what we've done as evil and turning aside from it to the Lord. But you see, repentance involves putting aside human pride. It means putting aside the, the fact that we know what's best for us and that God is above all people and all kingdoms. Repentance is put off because of human pride that says, who is that person to tell me that what I'm doing is wrong? Who is my father to tell me that what I have done is wrong and I need to apologize? Who is my pastor to say that what I'm doing is immoral and that I need to do something? Who is my neighbor to say that I've wronged them? I've lived here longer than them. Anytime that anybody puts off repentance, anytime that anyone puts off saying, I'm sorry, isn't it because of pride? Pride in my heart, pride in yours, which we struggle against. Nebuchadnezzar found God is patient, and God's main lesson in this whole account is that the Lord gives kingdoms to anyone he wishes. He can tear down the proud in their conceit and he can lift up the lowly. And he does. The Most High God is Lord over all. That's what Nebuchadnezzar needed to learn. That's what we need to hold on to. The Most High God. Nebuchadnezzar had thought that he had torn down the kingdom of Judah, right? He had thought that he had taken the last of the line of the king of David, which had stood for centuries, and made it nothing but a stump. 
And that line of David was ended and the city of Jerusalem fell. But a stump remained. God's prophecy was that out of that stump a shoot would grow. And that God would lift up the lowly who looked to him. That prophecy was centered on God himself who would come into this world, not in pride or arrogance, but in the greatest lowliness. Himself doing no wrong, the very Son of God, but born, not in any way that would appear as a king, born in a manger, in the most lowly circumstance. But prophecy was fulfilled as that line of David brought a branch. That tree which had been seemingly felled would be restored and repentance and forgiveness would be preached. Jesus, the Son of God, was born into this world to himself take on every sin and every curse and every evil. Himself hung on the tree for us and for all people. This is God's solution for this world. That Jesus, who was brought low and humbled himself and became the very lowest, might take away our sins. And that Jesus would be restored to his position of the highest position. He is the most high God. And Jesus, who now lives and rules over all, has repentance and forgiveness preached his name that you and I find in him perfect and full repentance leads to life. That we find in him when we say, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me, is full and free forgiveness for all. Even Nebuchadnezzar, me, you, and all people. Nebuchadnezzar might have thought that he could put off repentance. And we see in this account God is gracious and patient. We also see that one of the, the worst things that can happen to you is that God has to bring you low. And for the unbeliever, this is what happened, is God will cut them down. But for you and I, for those who look to God in faith and trust in Him, being brought low by God is probably one of the best things that can happen. Being on your knees and looking up to heaven is one of the greatest, sweetest things that you can find as you turn to Him and find, as you confess to Him, forgiveness and life. This Advent season, as we look at the stories of the promise, we look at Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, and we see that, yes, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. And that leads to joy and faith and renewal and forgiveness. And though we are deserving, yes, we're deserving to have our mind, our wealth, everything cut down, God does not. He will not because he has taken our sins away and God lifts up the lowly. So, the Lord tells you today, remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. Repent. The Lord brings down the proud but lifts up the lowly. Amen.